welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church Lagos. We hope this sermon answers the doubts or questions that you have about the Gospel, its relevance to your life, and the ever-evolving culture around us. Our vision is to see the City of Lagos and beyond renewed by the Gospel, and to make that happen, we need your support. You can do this by rating this podcast, following us, and giving through the Give tab on our website, citychurchlagos.com. Thank you for your generosity. We pray this sermon impacts you positively with the gospel. Good morning, church. So we are still in the book of Mark 1, 35 to 39. At the end of this reading, I will say this is the word of the Lord. Please kindly respond by saying thanks be to God. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you very much, Joseph. Morning, everyone. Um, how do I start? We are family here, aren't we? We are family. So let me let you into a family secret. Uh, just for those who are coming for the first time, the lady that that just that just read, she is uh, she married me. <laughs> so I found out some point this week that she was going to read. That is, she was going to be my forerunner. I started to imagine something. I said, what if after she finishes, maybe this will happen. So I told her, can you do this? She said, no. Do you want to know what I asked her? It's something I just imagined. I said, once in my life, I could just imagine after my wife had just finished reading, just before she leaves, she said, everybody, let's stand up. You know why? She says, because the emperor, the conqueror, the champion, the lion is here. I said, if my wife did that, forget eh? the, the preaching of that day. It was scatter. She said no. As I said, she said no. So anyway, the emperor, the conqueror, the lion and champion isn't here. Thank God we have sung about the lion of Judah. Thank God because he is the one through whom uh, we are made more than conquerors. Thank God that he is the champion of our faith. Thank God that he is the emperor over an empire that will know no end. And so it's in his name we want to commit this sermon uh, to the hand of the Lord. Father, we ask that Jesus will be made known today. We pray for those who are here, for those who are watching online, that truly there will be an encounter with the one 
who died but is no longer dead is risen and he is the Lord of all. We look forward, O oh Lord, to you changing us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Welcome. Welcome to the day after the election. How was your election day? All right. It was pretty good. Pretty good. I know how many people were in your polling unit. Mine was a disaster. On one street, one street, one polling unit, 29 people. One street. And when I say one street, I mean they were like one minute walk from each other. One polling unit, 29 people. Another one, 90 people. My own. Aleri zone. Ofure zone. Yewande zone. Over 1,300 people. We don't suffer for this Nigeria. How we are. How many of us went out with our PVCs to go and vote? And the reason we wanted to vote was we want to see a new Nigeria by seeing a new administration coming, right? We are hoping that as we see a new administration coming, a new Nigeria will come. Now, that's depending on if your candidate enters, all right? Depending on if your candidate enters. But you know, we gave a prophetic word that whoever enters by God's grace, it doesn't really matter, all right? Now, here's one thing, though. Imagine this, that you were able to, your candidate entered, and through some, you know, um, uh, stretch of the imagination, and through some good fortune, you actually have access to that uh, candidate. You have access to him. I mean, there's no hobby, there's no she that was running. There was one, okay. You have access to he or she. Let's be honest, she no go win. She's not winning, she's not winning. So, we have access, you have access to him. Now, if you have access to him, if they say, now you have access to him, will you not go and see him? Most of us will go and see him. I may go and see him. I just want to pray for him. You understand? Right? So, you go there. If we have access, because access is a blessing. So, from access, you see the person. You go into the presence of the person. And when you go into the presence of the person, you are able to get benefits. Whatever those benefits are. We're not talking about national cake benefits or anything like that. But let's just say you now have his stamp of approval. When you have the stamp of approval with the benefits, you know what you do? You utilize them. You utilize it. Access, presence, benefits, utilization. And that is for the candidate that may not enter. And even if the candidate entered, you are not sure about the kind of Nigeria that is going to emerge. Can I tell you that there is someone who is a candidate. He didn't run an election with anybody else. He was chosen by God from eternity's past. He has been installed as the king of a kingdom that shall know no end. And guess what? What we've been learning throughout this series is that through that candidate, we have access to the God of all gods. Amen. And that when we have access to him, we can see him. Now, the question is this. When you see him, if you enter into his presence, you don't live without benefits. He starts to change us. That's what we learned last week. That he starts to form us. Now, this week, we want to see this. As he starts to give us those benefits, he causes us to utilize them. Jesus goes in so that he can go out. You see, if I can do a small, small theology for us here, we learn that we are being formed in the image of Christ. Because what is the end goal of a believer? The end goal of a believer is very simple. Romans 8, 29 to 30, right? We are going to, for whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Our final end is to be conformed fully into the image of Christ. That is, we become like Jesus. We receive new bodies. Because you cannot dwell in the new kingdom that he is bringing without those new bodies. And you cannot be fully in the presence of God without that new body. So what is our end goal as believers personally is to be fully conformed in the image of Christ. Did we get that? 
Now, but that time hasn't come because that kingdom hasn't yet fully been established. So what is our current goal? Our current goal still is to be formed in the image of Christ. Let me put that another way. If our end goal is to be formed, conformed to the image of the post-resurrection Christ. Our end goal is to be conformed to the image of what? The post-resurrection Christ. Jesus Christ after he's resurrected. Our current goal is to be formed into the image of the pre-resurrection Christ. Is somebody following me? Are, are we, or we've been following the election results for Let's wake up. Our end goal is to be conformed into the image of the post-resurrection Christ, as Jesus was. He says, as I am, so shall you be, right? But then our current goal is to be like Jesus before he rose again. How do we do that? Very simple. We look at what Jesus did, and we follow suit. Amen. But look at Jesus and follow suit. Now, what is it that we've been seeing as we follow suit, as we, we observe in Jesus? We saw in this passage, and this is the third time and last time we are reading this passage, we saw that Jesus took times, regular times of solitude, whereby he accessed God, and in that presence of God, he was being energized and he was being transformed. And the truth is, for all of us too, that is what he's calling us to do. But what we see also in this passage is this. After Jesus did that, Jesus went out. He went out. And so I want us to look at the external dimensions of this thing we've been building up for. The last two times we've been talking about the inner life, but now we're going to talk about the external aspect. Amen. So let's start. You know, last uh, two weeks ago, someone asked an excellent question, um, which I really thought was an excellent question. The person had anticipated uh, this sermon. So I said, that, don't worry, we'll answer it in sermon. The person said something like this. We've been promoting this sort of contemplative life. Look inwards. Look inwards. Don't allow your outer space to destroy your inner space. We've been promoting it. But she said, wouldn't this contemplative life eventually lead to inactivity and laziness? And the answer to that, you know, is this. It could. It could. You are meant to go to work. And then you say, ah, I can't just go to work because, you know, God is the most important reality. Outside, there is no true reality. So you spend, you know, you initially went to spend 15 minutes, but you didn't find God. So you enter 30 minutes. You still didn't see him. 45. One hour. I said, almost oh, it's time to go to work. He said, no, I've not yet seen God. So you spend two hours or two and a half hours daily trying to find God. Now, what you don't find is God, but you eventually find that you are fired. And I said, God, what's happening? No, he has opened a new door because when God closes one door, he opens another window or something. You know, you come up with something like that. Sometimes it is like that. You can end up being lazy because you are searching for long to enter into your presence. It reminds me of a conference that my wife and her family attended. I didn't attend, fortunately, because she said that one time there was somebody that was about to preach. And, you know, he's a person, he needs, he needs a... You know, with preachers, sometimes we need a particular atmosphere. You know, when Dami comes in, Emmanuel comes in, they, as they come up, the music team come up. They need to set the thing up. So this guy, and he was actually a mentor of mine, so I, I, you will see that it's good that I didn't learn from him. So as he got up, he knew that he needed to enter into something. So he brought up the song, I will enter his gates with the... You know that song, Abby? And so he's like, enter. They said, man, the conference went wild that we're entering. So they entered, they were singing it. 
three minutes they sang, I will enter. And he was doing loop, you know loop. Just bring it again. I will enter. He did it. Five minutes they were entering. Ten minutes they were entering. They were, you know, kicking things. That the, the devil is in trouble today. Twenty minutes some people started, ah. I know that I want the devil to enter trouble, but maybe not too much trouble. Thirty minutes the man was still entering. Forty minutes he was still entering. Forty-five minutes they entered into, they entered the gate and they came out of it. After he finally entered, he preached over three hours. Exactly. And some of you here are complaining. Because I'll be preaching one hour. Yeah, some of you are now complaining. It was an experience for them. He was trying to enter. Maybe that's what you think that this whole thing is about. Contemplating by trying to enter and leading to laziness and inactivity. It could happen if you don't follow the way of Jesus. Because what's the way of Jesus? Before this verse 35 that happened, what's 32 to 34? In 32 to 34, what happened? It says that that evening after sunset, people were brought to Jesus, all the sick and the demon possessed, the whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He drove out many who had demons, but he would not let demons because they knew who he was. And some would think, oh, verse 35, when he went to a solitary place, maybe Jesus had caught a new vision. Like City Church, you know, we just catch new visions and we keep moving. All right? Jesus caught a new vision. So he now said, I'm not doing this whole demon casting thing and king, all those things. I'm not doing it again. It's now about the contemplative life. Except you read verse 39. What does verse 39 tell us? So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out. The way it started, in fact, in many ways, the solitary thing was sandwiched in between him doing those things. Jesus went in so that he could come out. Are you following me? Let me give you another example. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12, it says that Jesus went all night, right? He went to a mountain all night, and he was praying, praying, praying. And you think, ah, man, he's not just doing it in the morning. He's doing all night, night VG. And what did he do after that, verse 13? It says, when morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them who he also designated what? Apostles. You know what apostles means? Sent out. They sent out ones. Jesus, having gone inside, said, I need to engage the kingdom of darkness. I'm going, calling people who I am going to send out. Jesus went in so that he could what? Go out. Because his inside life served the purposes of kingdom activities. His inside life served the purpose of external kingdom activities. And so for you and I here too, that's the first thing I want to say. Right? When we're talking about the contemplative life, it's not an end in itself in that regard. There's the end, there's the ultimate end. We see God, we're being formed in Christ. But why are you being formed in Christ? Because God wants to use you outside. Amen. It's because the spread of the kingdom of God is not halted due to our time in solitude. Actually, rather, it is advanced because of our time in solitude. Amen. But let me quickly offer this one. The converse is also true. If you are actually not spending time with God in solitude, you know that you can become a hindrance to the advance of the kingdom of God. It doesn't seem so. In fact, let me add, the, let me add another thing just to even make it more complicated. If you're not spending time in solitude and, and time in the presence of God, cultivating your inner life, you will become a hindrance to the advance of the kingdom of God even when what you are doing is ministry work. Even when. Because there are many people that will do work that will say that this is like kingdom work. 
are called, do you know what they are called? They are called activists. Have you been around some activists? It, you are not sure whether you like them or you love them. Because on the one hand, they are fighting injustice. But in, on the other hand, their lives seem to be very ugly. They are so angry. They are so vengeful. You know why? It's because they spend so much time looking at the darkness outside. They never spend any time looking at the darkness inside. And so when you say you want to do, I'm just teaching. I'm praying. I'm, I'm, I'm teaching people. I'm uh, offering. Uh, 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 um, I'm giving people money. I'm changing people's lives. And because I'm so busy doing all of these things, I don't really, all those things about contemplative, whatever, I don't really have time for it. You know what you are doing? You are taking, you are using the work of God to be a hindrance for your work with God. You are using, at some point, in fact, it's an excuse, you don't want God to actually search you on the inside. And so rather than God search you on the inside, you say, I will be busy doing the work of God. At some point, Martha had Jesus in front of her, but she was still busy trying to do the work for Jesus. Mary had chose the right thing. Amen. Don't allow your work for God become a hindrance to your work with God. Because the real reason for our inside life ultimately is for us to go out. It is not for inactivity. It is not for laziness. I love the way um, an American, uh, late American monk and author, his name is Thomas Merton, Thomas Merton puts it this way. He says, the opposite of a contemplative life is not an active life. It is a reactive one. Can we say that together? It's a nice quote. The opposite of a contemplative life is not an active life. It's a reactive life. Reactive. Let's talk about that a little bit. A reactive life. Have you ever felt like you have been driven to do stuff? By people's expectations of you. Anybody know that? All of us have gone through it because you know what? It starts from childhood. The moment you see a child that talks a lot, you say, ah, this child is going to be a lawyer. The moment the child understands a little bit of math, this one is going to be an engineer. Now, in the modern day, the moment the child likes YouTube, that one is going to be a programmer. Uh, because he likes com his computer, computer stuff. Have you ever considered that the one that talks too much could be a comedian? Dami. Have you ever considered that the one that likes math could end up being a math teacher? God forbid. Have you ever considered that the one that likes YouTube can want to be a YouTube influencer? Say, ah, is that work? One of my children at the age of four said that's what he wants to do. <laughs> so let me just say, I'm preaching to you and your own children. Don't influence what your children want to do. My own child is not going to be a YouTube influencer. What's wrong with you? He will program, he will code. Now, what's really going on is that we are taking an expectation of society, right, and we are using it to form an identity regarding, uh, on, on that person. We see something, we have a narrative from society, and then we are saying, based on that narrative of society, this is what you are meant to be. So we foist external expectations on that person based on a certain thing that we have learned or understood. It's happening exactly here in 1 verse 36. Listen, let's read 1 36 and 37. It says, Simon and his companions, this is after Jesus had gone to that place to pray. Then Simon and his companions 
went to look for him. Say, went to look for him. And they found him. They exclaimed, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Say, looking for you. Those two phrases, went to look for him and looking for you. The English does not do us the best justice of what they are saying. You see, when he says that everyone is um, uh, looking, let me, let me start with um, the went to look for, right? So Simon and his companions went to look for. It really could be translated, they were pursuing or hunting. They went to pursue Jesus or they went to hunt for Jesus. Then when he says, when they now told him, everyone is looking for you, it comes with a sense of determining, determination, uh, determining and control. What do I mean? They've determined who Jesus is, and as a result of who they believe Jesus is, they're trying to control him in relation to that. They've determined his identity, and they're trying to control him in relation to that. So, here's the picture. People come, they're looking for Jesus. Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? And they now put pressure on disciples. Why? Because at the end of the day, he was the one that just performed some miracles yesterday. We need him to perform some more miracles. They determined that Jesus was, all Jesus was, was a miracle worker. And what are miracle workers there for? If you're a miracle worker, what are you meant to do? Uh, perform miracles. So yeah, yeah, look for him because we have so many dead people, um, dead people, sick people and all of that. So they needed him. They couldn't find him. So they started pursuing and hunting him. And so they carried that pressure to the disciples and the disciples themselves were now pursuing and hunting Jesus. The people that were meant to be submitting, following and submitting Jesus, all of a sudden now, they were determining who Jesus was meant to be and they wanted to control him in line of that. Somebody say reactivity. That's reactivity 101. You are just driven by a force, right? You are not actively thinking about how to respond to it. You are just reacting to it. We're in Lagos. Do you think this thing works at all? Because I won't lie to you, when I observe our Lagosian culture, I see a lot of this going on. I've been affected by it. You've been affected by it. I'll give you one example. Now, this example, please, oh, I am not throwing shade at anybody. Especially recently, because when I give the example, you think I'm throwing shade at some people. I am not. This is based on an observation of at least five years. But let's take, for instance, I often would tell the people who are getting married, before they get married, guys, your wedding that is coming up, it's not about Ashwebi. It's not about the decoration in the hall. It's not about the clothes that your friends, um, your eh? a bridal chain, it's not about that. It's not about, as I'm saying this, some people are saying, Pastor, that's your own. Okay. It's not about how many pictures you will take. It's not about the videos that are going to take. It's not about Instablog Niger. It's not about uh, what all the other ones. Bella Niger, Abi? Uh, which other one? It's not about those things. It's not about color. It's not about, I learned some new ones recently. They call it mood board. It's not about all of those things. I, I was wondering too. I thought mood board was to, um, was to um, put your mood in whatever. Apparently, mood board is about colors. And uh, so the colors are meant to express your emotions. And when I said that, they said, no, it's not about that. that it's just about the color, the theme. I said, why call it mood? Anyway, let's leave that one. You can, you can see, this, see, see the kind of research they are doing. Uh -huh. I said, it's not about that. The reason for the only th two things on your wedding day, do you know what the two things are all about? 
is this, that by God's grace, you are getting married to the person that God has chosen for you, one, if God did choose that person for you, and two, that in line with that, you are going to get the blessing of God on that day, both of you, for your life after. That is what it's about. So some of them, I was talking to one recently, I was saying, listen, the chances of you getting married to this person and being here was very unlikely. I want you to look at your life as we are going into the week of your wedding. Start reflecting. Reflect when you are five. Reflect when you are 10. When you are 15. Start thinking about how did God bring me to this place? So that when you are doing that, you are in a place of thanksgiving. And when you are in a place of thanksgiving, you now move to a place of expectation as you are moving towards the blessing so that when hands are laid upon you, we are not laying on empty heads. But if you are thinking about, hey, did this person show up? Hey, did I want this? Did this? That, uh, when they are praying for you, your head is somewhere else. I am not throwing shades again at people. Because nowadays, I, it's, it's really crazy. Maybe I can speak about my profession. For instance, ministers are less important on that day than the DJ and the MC. Maybe because we don't charge money like Dami and Fage. Sorry. I'm promoting your business. Well, it's true. Because, you know, the DJ is giving you the vibe. Because the vibe, what's more important than vibe? And so we're being honed now. Guys, listen to what I'm saying. Again, I'm saying it. I don't want to, I don't want you guys to think I'm throwing shit at anybody because the vast majority of us have done this thing. We have. Eh? Photograph up and down. Before, it was photographed on the wedding. I saw my parents on their own wedding day. There was one photograph of them alone, one. We always used to see it in the house. And because it was there, it was sacred because there was just one. Now, now, you will have nothing less than 83 photographs in one outfit. But as though the wedding was not enough, you now have something called pre-wedding. Come on, guys. At some point, you have to say, there is something our culture is pursuing us. It is haunting us. It has determined who we are meant to be and it's controlling us in that way. And we are reacting just like the disciples are. May God deliver us from such. God is saying, take control back. So the disciples were reacting. And when reaction comes, there's a lot of chaos. The pressure from the people came. And the, with the pressure from the people, they were now trying to put the pressure on Jesus. But Jesus was better than them. Jesus, whilst the disciples were, re whilst the disciples were reacting, Jesus was responding. Jesus said, let's go somewhere else. The people are looking for you. Let's go somewhere else. Does that make sense? Does it? Normally, no. It is the people, are, where are they? Because if I heal them, maybe, ah. Because I don't want them to go because one of these people will give offering. No. Jesus said, no, we are going somewhere else. Why? Because Jesus possessed something that the disciples did not possess. He possessed something called discernment. You see, let me tell you this. Anxiety, the disciples were anxious. Anxiety produces reactivity, whereas discernment produces responsiveness. Jesus could see through what was happening. He was seeing things that the disciples were not seeing. Let me break that down a little bit. Because Jesus could see that there was something else going on. Now, notice in 136. It says, Simon and his companions went to look for him. Simon and his companions went to look for him. You read that and you think, eh, is he not? Is it Simon and his companions. But actually, no. If you read the book of Mark, you will know that this is in anticipation 
of something else where it was also Simon and Jesus that were the main actors. In Mark chapter 8, verse 32, Jesus is telling his disciples that, hey, guess what's going to happen to me? I'm going to die. And after I'm going to die, I'm going to rise up from the dead. Now, when they heard, I'm going to die, they didn't hear anything else again. Has somebody ever delivered news to you before? Where you hear one part, you don't hear any other thing again. Am I the same person? You know, like when you are rejected from um, an, uh, a job interview or, if, or a school, like, you know how it starts. There, whatever. Eh? Unfortunately, everything finished. You say there are, there are many other things after. Unfortunately, what's all, that's what I wanted to know. Unfortunately, you can't hear anything again. So they just heard Jesus said he's going to die. They didn't hear that he's going to rise from the dead. So Peter, now at this point, this is not Mark chapter 1. This is Mark chapter 8. So Peter has been working with Jesus for a while. Do you understand? So he, he's, he's learned. He's learned. And sometimes, David said that um, I was greater than all my teachers. So at this point, Peter probably thought, eh, you know, one day the student must also graduate. So he said, I can't do this in public. So he called Jesus, verse 33. He said, he called Jesus aside. Said, Jesus, that is a bad demonstration of faith. How can you lack faith? You taught me faith. He said, I don't want to hear for this thing from you, what, again. <laughs> now, Jesus heard the voice of Peter, but he knew there was something else behind this. It's like when Jacob, Isaac wanted to bless his, uh, um, um, uh, Esau, and Jacob tricked him. He said, come, come. I want to bless you because he was blind at this point. He said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but it's the hands of what Esau. Jesus said, this is the voice of Peter, but it's the hand. There, there, there's something else going on behind it. Verse 34. He says, verse 33, but when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. It was Peter, but there was something else. There was another actor. He said, get thee behind me, what? The pressure that Peter was putting upon Jesus was not just Peter. It was satanic. That was, it was Satan that was behind it. And so when you go back and read chapter 1, verse 36, you would understand that even though Simon was the one saying it, Jesus could see that Simon was talking from the people that were putting pressure on him, but the people that were putting pressure on him were coming from who? Satan. Because don't forget, in earlier in chapter 1, he had already tempted him in the wilderness. And Jesus had prevailed. But do you think he was just going to leave him? No. Because when Jesus said that the kingdom, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, it was a declaration of war. Satan had already been ruling with his kingdom and now Jesus said the new kingdom is coming. Do you think he was just going to fold his hand and look back? No. Now, whilst the time in the wilderness, he, he tempted him directly. Now he was going to be using human vessels. So here's what happened. The people... Right? Because they were just going after the things they wanted, Satan walked through the people. As Satan got through the people, he used the pressure of the people and that got to the disciples. So now Satan has left the people, he's now working with the disciples. So when the disciples come and meet Jesus, Jesus knows that it's not the disciples that are talking, it is Satan that is talking. Through discernment, he said, let's go somewhere else. Somebody say discernment. What's discernment? Discernment really is, I like to define it as prophetic wisdom. Prophetic wisdom. That is, it is wisdom because it is the right application of knowledge. But it's prophetic because it's not just knowledge that you have established over a period of time. It is the kind of knowledge that God gives you at a specific time. 
It guides you to do certain things based on the fact that God is giving you insight into it and telling you what to do. This is how Jesus lived in his life. Because of the rhythms that Jesus had, he was always walking the same way. Look at John chapter 5, verse 19 and 30. Watch. It says, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what, what he sees. The seeing is revelation. The prophetic insight. The doing is what am I going to do based on this insight that I received. Do you see it? Now, prophetic can be seen, but it can also be here in verse 30. By myself, I can do nothing. I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. For I seek not to please myself, but to please the one who has sent me. Jesus not only could see what was going on, he had discernment to be able to move away from it and says, this is why I have come. Let us go somewhere else. Guys, there is a place for wisdom. I really believe in it. That is the right application of the knowledge you have built through scriptures. There is a place for that. There is a place for prophecy, the things that are revealed to you through dreams, impressions, visions, or maybe other vessels. But there is a time or there are specific situations that require not just a specific word, but also the specific application. Who knows what I'm talking about here? You are faced with a particular thing. And by and large, you could go either way, but you know that this thing is so significant. God can speak to you with discernment. It's like what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, look, there's a time that is coming where you will face persecution. When you face persecution and you are driven towards the synagogue rulers and all those things, it's not, not at that point you start quoting Bible. It's not at that point theology says you. You need to know what to say. It says, when you are brought before synagogues, rulers, authorities, do not worry about how you what, defend yourself or what you will say. Why? For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what to say. Paul was once brought in front of um, people like that and, you know, they all wanted to bring Paul down. And Paul at some point just realized, Ah, all these Jewish leaders, they are Sadducees here and they are Pharisees here. <laughs> God gave him a word at that point. You see, because the Sadducees do not believe that there is a resurrection. So when Paul had to speak, Paul then said, ah, I am only here because I'm on trial because I believe in the resurrection of the dead. That caused katakata among them. Say, ah, no, this guy must not live. Then the other, the Pharisees are like, eh, well, he's not that bad. Say, ah, can you say that they now started fighting among themselves? Do you understand what I'm saying? God can give you a specific word and a specific application for a specific time. But notice it says the Holy Spirit will give it to you. Where do you get that Holy Spirit sensitivity? Because if you are a Christian, listen to me, you already have the Holy Spirit. But the fact that you have the Holy Spirit does not mean that you always hear the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Bible says what? Don't quench the Spirit. Meaning what? You can quench the Spirit's voice in your life. The Bible says don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Meaning what? You can grieve the Holy Spirit. And so, what Paul, what Jesus, the difference between Jesus and the disciples is where they were. You know, the most important thing when you want to buy properties, three words, what? Location, location, location. Where were they found? Notice, the people could not find Jesus. Why? He was in a solitary place. Who did they find? The disciples. You know why? Because the first thing the disciples did when they woke up was to find out what's the culture saying. What's that guy saying? This was their own um, equivalent of 
just checking the news, checking their messages, checking their social media. They were easily found by the people and therefore they were put in a state of reactivity. They could have had the Holy Spirit, but they weren't going to listen to the Spirit. But Jesus was filled with the Spirit. That's why Ephesians 5.18 says, keep on being filled with the Spirit. And you get filled with the Spirit when you take time out. It is at that point where you wait on the Lord that you can hear the voice of the Lord. I love the way Isaiah chapter, uh, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18 and 21 put it. It says, for the Lord is a God of justice, his identity. Blessed are all who wait for him. If they wait for him, do you know what happens in verse 21? Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Or in, and again, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 50 verse 4. It says, sometimes you face people who are in difficult situations. You don't know quite what to say. I don't know how many of you have been in that situation. Somebody is grieving. At that point, if you just throw Bible verses at them, it will not work. In fact, sometimes they can be injurious. It's not sometimes, sometimes you, yeah, you can say it is well because the person is able to get that. But some other times it's not the best thing. So you get there and you say, what do I say? And there's a word that you need to use to comfort the weary. And so at some point, he says, the sovereign Lord has given me what? His words of wisdom. So I know how to comfort the weary. But how does he do it? A life of rhythm. Morning by morning, he wakens me and opens my understanding to his will. Morning by morning. You cannot cheat your way to receiving discernment. Morning by morning. Because if we don't have this, if we don't have this kind of divine guidance, all of a sudden, you will, your life will be up and down, helter-skelter. Like Proverbs 29 verse 18 says, it said, where the people do not accept divine guidance, they will run. But when you are guided by that, you always know the right thing to say at the right time. Proverbs 15 verse 23 says, everyone enjoys a fitting reply. It is... A wonderful thing, completely for me. Get the right things at the right time. Jesus had that discernment, guys. And because of that, he responded. He did not react. Turn to your neighbor and say, I will respond. I will not react. Now, because Jesus could see that Satan was behind that, Jesus responded because Jesus essentially was battle ready. The disciples who did not see the satanic dimension of it, and because their lives were not spent in redeeming solitude before God, they actually, they actually reacted. Why? Because they were not battle ready. When there's a war that Jesus has fought for us, but we are in battles. And again, I want to lay this, I don't know whether to call it warning, because again, we can get so easily distracted and we just think, well, somebody's just talking, talking, talking. I want you guys to listen. It's possible to be saved. It's possible to have the Holy Spirit and all of those things. And yet, Satan is attacking you and he's having victories over you. Do you know that? Because you are not battle ready. I'll give you an example. The children of Israel in Exodus chapter 13, right? At this point, they are no longer in Egypt. Who has read the story of how the children of Israel came out of Egypt? You know, it wasn't, uh, they didn't just waka out of Egypt. You know, God did mighty miracles, right? It wasn't them. They didn't, if they could do it by themselves, they wouldn't have waited 400 years to leave. It took God to move. So the children of Israel were saved from the bondage of Egypt by grace. Moses said to them, he said, stand and see the salvation of your Lord. It was, they were saved by grace. Now, 
I want you to see a very strange passage in Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. Why? He said, for God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. You see, they will go back to bondage if they face war. You know why? Because they were not battle ready. They were not, don't give me anything yet. They were not battle ready. I love the way the Proverbs puts it. It says, if you fall, Proverbs 24 verse 10, it says, if you falter, if you falter in a time of trouble, how small is your strength? Let me give you King James. If you turn back in the day of adversity, it's because your strength is small. How small is your strength? He said the people of Israel, if they saw the Philistines, even though the way was shorter, if they saw the Philistines, they would say, give us bondage back. Why? They were not battle ready. And so many times God sees that we are not battle ready. So he takes us through, he meanders our lives through solitary places. He takes us through wilderness experiences. Why? To get us to be battle ready. A short form of that is that he takes us through all these solitudes and experiences so that he can show us who we are, so that he can get the thing out of us. Why? Because God is not just allowing you to have a contemplative life for the sake of it. There is work to be done. And so he says, I must get you battle ready. So what happens in Exodus 13, after 17, he says that, look at verse 18. The next verse says this. So God led the people around by the desert road. That is, they took a longer way. Towards the Red Sea. And then he says this. The Israelites went up out of Egypt, what? Ready for battle. Are you ready for battle? Are you ready for battle? Does your life, the way you live it, does it prepare you for battle? Maybe I'll give you this example. I, 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 want, to, maybe I'll, I want to give you a tip. Let me give you a tip today. I want to give you a practical tip on some things you can do to get yourself ready for battle. But before I do that, let me, I can, I want to address something that I often hear people say. And, you know, if you've said this um, um, and it's talking to you, then maybe I've just been prophetic. How many of you have said something like this? Hey! When, when I look at myself in the mirror nowadays, I just say, ah, ah. Toby, is this you? Ophira, is this you? Chica, is this you? Ah. See, now, small somebody will be sick, I will throw out Panadol. When I was on campus, you can put that picture. When I was on campus, I was on fire. Fire. I only had two times for two things. Fellowship was one, well, one thing. Fellowship with God, fellowship with fellowship. You know, fellowship. I was in class and I was in, I was in fellowship. I was on fire. Don't forget all this makeup and all these tight jeans that you are seeing me. That time, when I enter a place, I kabash. Scattered the whole thing. It's just that now, I don't, you know, now, I don't know what's, I don't know. I look at myself and say, huh? Church, they were praying for 10 minutes, 10 minutes. After we stood up for three minutes, I sat down. What has happened to me? Am I speaking to somebody here? Yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's true, it's true, it's true. Say, what happened? How did I get here? How is it I, I need to get back to that fire? I need to get, something happened to me. I'm here to help you. Let me tell you something about that issue that nobody has ever told you. Are you ready for this? And this will deliver you. Are you ready? You are no longer on campus. You, you are no, at least maybe some of us watching or say you are still on campus. But for those of us who have said that, you are no longer on campus. Turn to your neighbor and say you are no longer on campus. 
You are not. You are not. So to expect that the way you live life on campus will produce the same result when your responsibilities and all the things around you have changed, if you think that's going to produce the same result, you are joking. Now, it is possible for you to achieve that same result that you had on campus or even better, right? But you have to do something. You have to change your life in relation to where you are now. Jesus spoke about this in Luke chapter 14. He talked about when we go to war. He says this, whenever somebody goes to war, suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider? Tell your neighbor, sit down and consider. He said, won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him or with 20,000? Sorry, the one coming against him with 20,000. He will sit down and consider. In other words, when we talk about war, we talk about having military strategies. There are people who plan. They plan. Question, is your life planned for battle? I'm not now talking about tweaking one thing here or there. We can sing all the songs. We can talk about, confess all the things you want to talk about and all of that. But if you are going into the enemy's territory and outside in the world is enemy's territory, if you do that, question, is your life prepared for war? Some people say, ah, this life, this contemplative life, spending time with Jesus, all of those things, it's nice. It's nice. But, ah, man, have you seen my schedule? You are not busier than Jesus. Why was Jesus where Jesus was? It's because Jesus did not live a helter-skelter life. He lived a life that was planned. Do you know what you need? You need something that is called a strategic weekly life plan. A strategic weekly life plan. No, I invented it. So let me show you one. Okay, this, this is my strategic weekly life plan. You can't see anything here. But you can just see the colors. They are nice, aren't they? They are nice, aren't they? Because I was about, I'm going to bless some people today. And if you are not, you know, the blessing may miss you. Uh All right. No, no, the blessing won't miss you. But now, first of all, let me quickly say something about this. I'll I'll go through some stuff and I'll show you how to build it and the, the advantage. Let me first say a number of things about it. First of all, this is not a weekly task plan. You know what a weekly task plan is? At the beginning, maybe Sunday for some of you, right? You know what you are going to do this week. You look at your calendar. So you start writing, on this day, I'm going to do this. On this day, this is grocery shopping. On this other day, I have this meeting in Abuja, this, that, that. All of those things. That's your weekly task plan. How many of us live by weekly task plans? Okay. And the work is long ago. You are not even going, ah, man. Ah. Do you guys want to do another survey? <laughs> okay, but at least you, you, you know what you are going to do every week is it changes from time to time, right? So a weekly task plan changes every week because there are different things you have to achieve. This does not change at all. This is not, doesn't change at all. This is something that is static and your weekly task plan is meant to be built from this. It's meant to be built in reference to this. I'll get to that. That's number one. Number two, take it, take it down first. Let me say another thing and then we'll come back. The second thing I want to say is this. Even though it is there and it should govern your life, it ought not to be rigid. No plan should be rigid. But it shouldn't be malleable. You see, there's a difference between rigidity, malleability, and flexibility. 
you should always be flexible. You should neither be rigid nor malleable. You see, Jesus was not rigid, neither was Jesus malleable. I'll give you one example. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus had been called to come to Jairus' house because Jairus' daughter is unwell. In fact, she's dead, actually. So he's going to go and raise her. So he's going. He has a plan of where he's going. And immediately, or at some point, through the crowd, a woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years now touched him. And he said, ah, power has gone out of me. She was healed. And then he's asking the question, who touched me? And the disciples are like, okay, there are many people here that touched him. What kind of silly question is that? They used to want to correct Jesus many times. But sometimes, you know, that was a subtle dig. You know, subtle, you know when some of you who have people that are working under you say, ah, you know, pastor, are you sure we should be doing this? This doesn't seem like a good enough thing. Emmanuel said, you know. You don't think we don't know when you are disrespecting us. Just saying. So the disciples are like, oh God, everybody is touching. He said, no, someone has taught me. Eventually, the woman that touched him, that God healed, came out. And he said, woman, your faith had made you whole. Now, for somebody who is malleable, now say, now tell me about these 12 years. What has been happening? And how, you, you know? And he forgets Jairus' daughter. For the person that is rigid, somebody taught me, like, hey, virtue left out of me, but I have a plan. Do you understand? It is neither rigid. Jesus, it was not rigid because he could be interrupted. But Jesus was not malleable because he could not be diverted. Flexibility means that you can be interrupted without being diverted from your ultimate goal and purpose. You know, some of us who have, who still, at this, uh, uh, we, uh, we still think that we are 14, right? So we put our, uh, rubber bands on our hands. You know rubber bands? Again, I'm not talking to anybody, damn it. I'm not talking to you. Because you were delivered from that last year. So, uh, even though you weren't 14 last year, but anyway. So, so, um, my God, now wow. So, rubber band. You know a rubber band, what is it? It's not rigid, it is not malleable. A rubber band is flexible. Why? Because even though it can bend, it has a structure, it always comes back. And so, you have to organize your life in such a way where there is some flexibility, but there has to be structure. So, put it back on. What do I mean by this? Strategic weekly life plan. It is something I live my life by based on my desire, my calling, and my stage in life. I organize my life based on my desire, my calling, and my stage in life. Right? So you can look up. If you look um, the top, that's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. All these, these white parts here are the times. Each of them is 30 minutes block, 30 minutes block, 30 minutes block. All right? Both sides, right? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Side. Now, if you look up, I have to wake up at 4.30 a.m. Except on Saturdays. Now, why? It didn't just happen like that. Because at 4.30 a.m., I have to prepare, get up, wake up, do Bible reading, prepare for exercise. Then I now do my time of silence and solitude. Then I go for exercise. But I have to be ready. I have to take my bath because I have to be ready to take the children to school at 7 a.m. School runs. Are you following? Right? On Monday, you will see everything I have there is, has to do with my Sabbath until 4 p.m where I'm now planning for the next day. Now, if you see some other blocks here, these brown blocks, this one, this one, those are where I take meetings. In other words, I can't take meetings every day. I can't take, somebody can't just send me a text. For those of you who send me a text, call and say, ah, can we meet at any point? Why do I say eventually, talk to this person? I can't be meeting at any point because when people send external stimulation, you start to react. Now, you react when you don't have a plan, a purpose, a goal in your life. You start reacting to every external stimulation. People are pursuing and hunting you so that they, have, they can control you in line with how they have determined your identity to be. Are you following me? 
So if you don't have something like this, I'm not saying that you have failed in life. I'm not saying that, you know, but I'm saying you need to have, it may not even be like mine. But I'm saying you have to have something that says, how, how, what defines me? What, how, how do I live my life in a way that creates time and space for the person I want to be? Now, this encompasses my spiritual life. It encompasses my family life. You will look down here. This is 5.30. That is, uh, no, sorry, down here. Family dinner, couples devotion, children's devotion. I must still live with my family. I must do certain things. So you can't call me at, if you call me at 6 p.m., no, you will not find me. Even there, you can see when I have time to respond to emails, text messages, and make calls. Why? Because it, it, it just takes one, you know how this thing is, it takes one text, one text message to derail your whole day. If you are not, if you are not planning certain things. All day you see where I have to do sermon prep, all of those kinds of things. Now, in case some of you are interested, take it down. Let me give you four steps on how you build this. Because I recommend it. People have directly mentored. They all have copies of this. I recommend this to people, right? How do you build the four steps? One, and I'm, I want to really apply this particularly to your spiritual, more to the spiritual aspect of your life. You still have to incorporate other aspects of your life as well, okay? So the first thing is this. One, decide who am I and who do I want to become? Notice where we started from. You don't start from, what are all the things I have to do? The things that you have to do should first flow out of, who is it I want to become? And who is it, I, or who am I? Are you, are you, do you understand? Most times we have it in reverse. It is, oh, I have to go to this place. Oh, I have to be with this person. Oh, I have this friend to hang out with. Oh, I have, so you just do all of that and you now try to organize. In other words, you are being driven by external stimulation rather than, you starting from, who is it I want to be? And so I hope, for instance, with this series, that maybe one thing you could say is that I want to be a more spiritually centered person. I want to, let, to stop being anxious. I want to be somebody that is not reacting to all that is going on around me, but is responding to what God wants me to be. That you define something like that. Or I want to grow more in Christ in all aspects of my life. So if you start off there, then the next thing is this. Decide what are the non-negotiable activities that will help me reflect and develop into that person that you have asked, that you have defined. Does that make sense? It is at this point you start to say, what are the things that will make me like this? So if you then say, I need to, I want to be a non-anxious person. Ah. I've learned there is no way I cannot I can do that without having certain rhythms in my life. So I have to put time for solitude and silence. I have to put time for reading. I have to put time for someone listening. I have to put time for being in church. Right? You, you just say, okay, these are the things. For instance, if it is I want to be a better husband, you have to say, ah, what point am I going to put in my weekly schedule that is exclusively given to my wife? You want to say, I want to be a better husband, a better father, a better mother. What times are, I'm not talking about the time that you just respond to your children. What times are you dedicating to your children? So you decide what are the non-negotiable activities that help you to reflect and develop into that person. I hope this is helpful. Third, when you've decided those activities, then the next thing is set realistic days and times to encompass the necessary activities above. It is then you have to start making negotiations. You start saying, because again, this one has to do with our stage of life. 
For some of you, you can't wake up 4.30. I understand, right? You can't wake up 4.30 a.m. Me, because I have to go to bed at between 8.30 and 9, 9.30 for me to wake up at 4.30 a.m., right? Now, for some of you, it's like 8.30, 9.30. Ah, I'm still at work. My boss will not allow me. I understand, all right? So I'm saying you have to then decide your, based on your stage of life, how you then put these things in place. Now, I do want to say one thing. This one is a, um, a slight word of rebuke. Some of us give too much, um, too many excuses to say, no, it's not possible. It's not possible in my life. It's not possible in my life. You've not tried it, actually. You can say it's easy for you, Pastor Femi. At least you're, you don't report to anybody. I do report to some people. But, right, okay, fine. Maybe I'm leading the stuff that I, 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 I have. And maybe you are led by some, but some of us have not even tried. You've not actually had the conversation with your boss to say, hey, this way you ask for stuff at 1 a.m., 2 a.m., I can guarantee you this. If you allow me to work between this time and this time and this time, give me two months and see whether I will not be more productive. Just give me two months. I can assure you I'll be more productive at my work. I want to be able to organize my life in such a way that I can be more productive for you. Try and have that negotiation first. Because actually, the way you start off your day actually has more to do with how your day runs than, you know, some of us, if you don't set sleeping times, right, what happens if you wake up today, you sleep at 11, tomorrow you sleep at 9, the next day you sleep at 12, the next, you are messing up your circadian system. So that's why you are groggy throughout every single day. And that's why even though you are spending more time working, you're actually being less productive. And honestly, can I tell you this? That's also why you don't hear God well. Because when you are groggy, you can't hear God. Am I speaking to somebody? Now, final thing I'll say on this. Final one is number four is build your weekly task plan with reference to it and live your life accordingly. So if you're into a weekly task plan, so I would on Sunday or, um, sorry, on um, uh, Monday, Monday evening, I will then, I mean, some meetings will have been set up for me based on this and all of that. I will look at those things and I will now write this week, this is what I'm doing. But it is in reference to this. It enables you to be able to say yes to things and also enables you to say no to things. Because the reason for all of this, and I'm really just talking about our spiritual lives, is we are trying to create time and space for God so that we have an atmosphere of God around us. Can I say that again? We are trying to create a time and a space for God so that we can create an atmosphere of God around us. The reason why many of the things that happen in our lives or the things that we are looking forward to, to happen don't happen is because there is not an atmosphere of God around us. How many of us know that for things to happen, you need an atmosphere? It's one thing to plant seed. It's another thing to be put fertilizer. If you don't have the right atmosphere, what's not going to happen? Nothing will happen. When, time, when we were having our, when we were voting yesterday, right, there was a time, you know, I, I, I never experienced what I experienced yesterday. There was free food everywhere. Free food. Like, when I mean free food, at some point I was like, ah, is this from this party or is this from this? I mean, I'm not eating. No. I don't want anybody to I go there and you want to put your hand on something and it's not, you can't put it, it's one party. So I'm not eating any um, spring roll of affliction. No. There was food, there were drinks, people were just giving, ah, now, wow, it's not we vote. But there was another thing that was making us all happy. That despite the fact that you are number 400 and something, number 500 and something, somebody had rented a generator and there was a DJ there. 
I, I'm telling okay, maybe my polling unit was different from, uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, but yeah, hopefully, I see you, I see you. In other words, listen, we were, there was vibe. There was what? Vibe. We were going to vote. There was nothing. There was vibe. Can you imagine eating, chilling, and having a good time, you know, until the petrol finished? Is at that point, at that point, people now, who are these people standing here? Why are people, the same people that were standing there were there before. But now, the atmosphere had changed. And because the atmosphere had changed, people started reacting differently. Am I, am I talking to somebody? How many of you know that when you want to work, you actually said, you put some, you know, some focus music, right, into your ears. You start doing certain things because there are atmospheres that we create so that certain things can happen. I was talking with somebody, a, 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 a fellow parent in my children's school. There were, well, there were three of us, but the lady was talking. She was asking, what school are your children going to? What school is your son going to for secondary school? I said, he said, hmm, ah, okay, wow. Said, don't you think it's a bit extreme? I, I think that school is a bit extreme. I said, Madam, it's okay. Before we knew it, we moved into home. She said, hmm, this Nigeria, this Nigeria, this Nigeria. She said, hmm. She talked to her husband just two weeks ago. For the first time, she talked about maybe I should move from Nigeria. Before we knew it, we started talking. She just said, ah, I can't lie. Nigeria cannot change until some people just die. So at that point, I realized. I was about to say, baby, in carrying atmosphere. This woman was carrying one atmosphere around. We are not, the other guy had already started, you know, leaning back. But like this atmosphere, so I now lean to her and I say, yeah, yeah. I said, madam, it's true, it's true. I said, but let's sell hope. Let's sell hope. You see, there was, she had one atmosphere around her. I had another atmosphere. Listen, the way you talk about things, the way you perceive things is going to be dependent on the atmosphere that is around you. The disciples had a particular atmosphere that was around them because they were spending time with people early in the morning. Jesus had another atmosphere that was around him because he had spent time with God in the morning. He had rhythms of spending time with God. And so there was an atmosphere for him to not just respond in the right way, but to act. He said, come, let us go out. Now we have to perform some more miracles. Verse 39, he says this, so he traveled through Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Guys, what I'm trying to tell you is this. If we spend time taking care of our inner lives, there comes a time where there is an atmosphere around us and God says, now it's time for you to go out. There will be people around you that will be saying this, that there is a casting down. Why are they saying there's a casting down? It's because there is an atmosphere around them. But you who have spent time in the presence of the Most High, when people are saying there's a casting down, you know what you'll be saying? There will be a lifting up. So there's something for you to do. And the reason why you have to go and do it outside, the reason you can do it effectively outside is when you go inside. Because the thing is, it's all about proclaiming the kingdom. He said he went out, traveled in the Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Preaching and driving out demons. Because we're going to go into a time of prayer very soon. But I want you to notice this. Listen, some of us, like the Jesus of our own choosing. In this, in this sermon series, some of us have loved the contemplative Jesus. The Jesus that I can just, you know, stay silent with. A sort of yoga-ish kind of Jesus. A Buddhist-ish kind of Jesus. A Zen kind of Jesus. See, I've been waiting for City Church to get there. We have gotten there, thank God, right? We have that kind of Jesus. But that's not the only Jesus we see in the picture. Some of us will say, I like the teaching kind of Jesus. That was the teaching kind of Jesus that made me join City Church. Uh, it's true, but that's not the only Jesus that there is. 
Don't, with your own personalities, try to do exactly what the people were doing. That is, don't try and control Jesus based on the determination of the identity that you have taken from him. In Mark chapter 1, verse 27, he says this about Jesus. He says that Jesus, Mark 1, 27, said the people were all amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching, teaching Jesus is there, but they now said, and with authority. Contemplative Jesus, he was in a solitary place. Teaching Jesus, he was teaching in the synagogues. But what? Authoritative Jesus, he was driving out demons. Can the real Jesus please stand up? And so when we go into a place of solitude, when we do all of those things, when we breathe in and breathe out, right? The reason we're doing all of that is not just so that we stay there. There is a time where we have to now face the demons in our lives. There's a time where we have to face the demons that are outside. There's a time where we can say, God, are you not the God who heals? God, are you not the one who still speaks to your people today? As we go inside, he empowers us to go outside. Am I speaking to someone? That same Jesus who had authority in Luke chapter 9, verse 1 to 2. It says that Jesus gave that same thing to his disciples. He says, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. Why did he give them that? He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And the final thing I'll put there is in Acts chapter 4, when the disciples were being persecuted and they said, ah, they couldn't stop them. They said, these men were unschooled men. Guys, it's not just about your thinking. It's not just about your reading. It's not just about that. He said, they noticed that they had courage. They had power. Why? He said, these men were ordinary men. They were astonished. And what did they take note of? They took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's the reason for this series. Remember, we started this year, we said this. That the theme for our year, and we'll still talk more about it. But the theme for our year, do you remember the word? Inside out. That is, God drives us in to look at the inner space of our lives because of the outer work that he has for us. And so at this moment, we're going to go into some prayers. We're going to pray some prophetic prayers today. But I want us to just shut our eyes. I want us to concentrate on the Lord. We spoke a lot about Moses last year, last week. We spoke about how Moses had an identity crisis until he got into a place of solitude as he was driving towards, as he was um, journeying towards Midian. But thereafter, after he became a shepherd there in Midian, Oftentimes, Moses as a shepherd would be talking to the Lord. He was a solitary place. Until one day, God visited him in Exodus chapter 3, verse 4 to 5. So when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, because Moses saw a bush that was burning and wasn't consumed, said so God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. And God said, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals. Take off your sandals. For the place where you are standing is holy ground. The place where you are standing is holy ground. Jesus. 
only moment time and space are holy when God walks in God has come to us through his word every gate is on the lion and the lamb and as he visits us with his presence let us gaze on him the seas are Time where you open your eyes to see every gate is on the lion and the lamb. And let's consider the holiness of this space. This is a holy Can either be silent or sing with them, whichever one connects you to God. Lord, walking on us. Every into this space. Walk into the space, O God, of our lives. Father, not just fill this house with your glory. Fill us with your glory. Fill us with your presence. Be attuned to the presence of the Lord. Open yourself. Do not allow skepticism to stop you. Do not allow tiredness to stop you. This is a holy moment. Thanks for listening. If you found this sermon helpful, we hope you join us in the mission of renewing Lagos with the gospel by sharing it, rating this podcast and following us. These actions help us reach more people with the gospel. You can also connect with us on various social media platforms via the handle at City Church Lagos. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.